I want to recap with you just for a few moments. I, I have time is of the essence tonight. But the last seven weeks, we've been talking about this message called revival. We've been looking at this, this message that the Lord has laid upon my heart. And if I can refresh your memory just a little bit, I kind of want to go back and just sort of touch base quickly on, on everything that we've covered. And, and trust me, we've covered a lot. But, but I'll basically just kind of give you one-liners to sort of remember the first week that we learned uh, and have been learning about this, about revival, the first week that we learned was that the Lord is taking us right now as we speak. And I believe he's already doing so in the lives of many, many people. But he's taking us from a shift from temple religion. And we just sang a song about it, right? You know, he's taking us and he's shifting us from simple temple religion to the revelation of a relationship with Jesus. Amen. Isn't it so much better when you're in a relationship with him? Amen. It works like it's supposed to. Amen. It's not this thing where, you know, you just come and go and then it seems like God's presence comes and goes from your life. But no, when it's a daily relationship with the Lord, you find yourself, church, in, in, in constant fellowship with the Savior. Amen. So you have daily bread that the Lord gives you. You have that, that fire that he wakes you up with, that new mercy that he wakes you up with. And, and this is the way the Lord wants us to live our life. Amen. Personal revival begins with us. It begins with you and I saying, saying yes to Jesus and saying, Lord, I'm not just going to do the, the mundane religious routine. How many of you are tired of the religious routine? Amen. I don't want to walk into this place. I don't want to have a, a so-called relationship with God that only exists on Wednesdays and Sundays. Can I get an amen tonight? But I want to have a relationship with him that when I call, no matter when the hour, no matter when the time, he will hear my voice. That when I pray, things happen. Amen. That when I worship, I feel his presence. You see, that's having a relationship with him. He's with you. He's walking beside you. He's living in your life. He's, he's anointing you to do work and witness for his kingdom. It's not just a religious thing where you just stand when they tell you to stand and sit when they tell you to sit. The Lord is transforming our hearts every single day. Amen. The second thing that we learned, and, and I'm just giving you just a tiny, tiny bit, but the second main thing that we learned is we spoke about the corporate anointing. The corporate anointing, that means that when we gather as a body, that when we come together as the body of Christ, there is an anointing when we gather in worship and in prayer. Amen? That when every single person that's in this place begins to worship Jesus and worship and sing to the Lord in unity in the spirit. It's not just that, you know, one person's kind of like worshiping on their own and, and the other 50 people, you know, don't really care. But when every voice is lifted in unity, the anointing of the Holy Spirit begins to move about this place and this atmosphere in a powerful, powerful way. Every service that we've seen for the last few months, I, I, I don't even know when it started, but I can tell you almost every service that we've gathered, we just feel that corporate anointing, amen? You feel it when you gather. You feel it when the saints begin to worship. When you begin to pray in a group with one another, you, you feel the presence of the Lord. That's the corporate anointing. That's what the Lord begins to rest upon his people as an assembly. The scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews that we're not to forsake the assembling together. I'll send you guys text on Wednesday sometime from time to time just to remind you to say, don't forsake this, this meeting ground. It's important. The Holy Spirit has something for you tonight. Amen. The Lord has something for your life. And, and the Lord does special things in our life by ourselves in private. He does special things in your life, you know, when you're in that prayer closet by yourself. But there's something special that happens when the saints come together. Amen. And when we pray and we agree, the Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, there he will be. He is here, church. Can somebody say amen tonight? The third thing that we learned, yes, bless the Lord. The third thing that we learned was that repentance leads to the reopening of the heavens over your life. 
When we truly repent of our sin, that is living in repentance is surrender. It's saying, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. God, I am not worthy to be a vessel, Lord, that is used by you, Lord. I am not able, Lord, to do anything good for your kingdom on my own. And so I repent. That word repent means to have a change of mind to go to a higher perspective. You see, when we think the way we want to think, when we think from our carnal mind and our flesh and we act upon our flesh and we live from a place of flesh instead of walking in the spirit, we get ourselves in trouble. Can I get a witness tonight? Amen. We get ourselves in all kinds of trouble because we thought we could handle it. We thought we could decide what was best for our life. We thought we were able to choose and walk in a certain way that, that was going to be pleasing to God. And the scripture clearly tells us that those who walk in the spirit, they are the sons and the daughters of God. Every single day you have to deny yourself. Every single day you have to wake up and take up your cross and follow Jesus. Amen. It's not just a thing that happened some months ago or some years ago when you first said yes to him. But it's a daily relationship with him. And it starts by saying, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I change my mind. I change my heart. I change my ways. I surrender myself to you. The fourth week, we talked a little bit about this. And I mentioned that I did not want our church. We, we, we looked at that scripture in the book of uh, Isaiah, I believe it was. And we talked about that, the valley of Ecclesia. The Valley of Ecclesia was the place where the Israelites ended up before they got to the promised land. And it was a place where they, were, where they were, was, stayed for a season. They stayed there for a temporal moment and, and they literally were camping outside of the promise. They were so close to the promise that they could see it. They could almost smell it or touch it. It was within reach. But guess what? They were camped outside of the promise. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be outside of the promises of God. Amen? I want to be in the promises of God. I don't want to be on the outside of what God has for my life or, or the blessings or the things that he has in store for my family. I want to be in the center of what God has for my family. Amen? I want to be in that place where I am living in the promises of God, where we are living in the glory of God. It's a shameful thing. Job chapter 9 verse 11 says this. It says that you, he could be moving in your midst. He could be walking right by you, but you don't see him. His presence could be all around you, but you don't perceive him. That is the scariest place that I could ever imagine besides the pit of hell. To actually know that Jesus is walking by you, but you cannot see him. Your eyes cannot fixate on him. You don't realize that he exists and he's real and he's actually there. And you miss out on the glory on a daily basis because, because your eyes are still veiled. You haven't had that, that, that road, you know, Damascus road experience like Paul had where his eyes were open to see. You see, it's important for us to understand that the Lord wants you living in his glory. Amen? The Lord wants us to live from that place. I love what it says in the book of Numbers. It talks about the Israelite people and it says... That as the cloud moved, they moved and they set up camp under the cloud. The cloud was the glory of God. The cloud was that place where the Lord would speak out from heaven and fire would fall down on them and rain would bless their life. And, and the Lord's power and his mercy, his authority would flow from that place. And the Lord wants you and me to live in his glory. Amen. The fifth week we spoke about this. We spoke about the purpose of the glory. And the purpose of God's glory in your life is not just for you. Can somebody say amen? It's not just for you. That would be a very selfish thing to think that the Lord's power and glory was just singular just for us. 
The beautiful thing about him is that it, it's, it, it strikes you in awe that the Lord would even want to touch your life. Amen. That he would even want to bless your life or work in your life in a certain way. But guess what? The glory is not just for us to bask in here at the altar. The glory is not just for you to, to, to be speaking in tongues in your prayer closet at home. God's goodness and his glory is not for us to hoard for ourselves, but it's to build his kingdom. It's always to build his kingdom. It's to be a carrier of the glory of God and not a barrier. To take it to somebody that is parched and starving and they're living in their hearts in a desolate place and they need to know the glory of God. They need to know the forgiveness and the love and the mercy of God that is radiating upon your life. We are to carry what God is doing in our life to build his kingdom. Building his kingdom, church, happens one soul at a time. You know that you wouldn't be here if somebody hadn't obeyed God? If somebody hadn't obeyed God, if somebody wasn't listening to God, if somebody hadn't had an encounter with God, none of us would be here today. None of us would know his mercy unless somebody had carried that glory that we could see it in our life and say, that's what I want. That's what I need for my life. I need to know the goodness of God in their life. I remember when I got saved, I started coming to this church and, and I was here for probably six, seven months. And I listened to a lot of messages, went to the youth group, you know, listened to pastor preach on Sundays and and I was remembering this just the other day, and, and I remembered, you know, I, I, I saw it. I witnessed it. I'd see people get baptized in the Spirit, and I was like, man, why'd she fall? And I had no idea what was going on. I'd hear somebody speaking in tongues, and I had no idea what was happening in their life. I didn't know about the Lord. I didn't know about the Holy Spirit. But I could see God doing something in their life. I could see the love of God on their life. I could see this power on their life. And I said, I need to taste what, what they have. I need to see what it is that they are crying about. I need to know what it is that they're worshiping. And I'll never forget when I had my encounter with the Lord and, and the Lord saved my soul. I felt pure love for the first time. I felt pure love just come rushing down from heaven to wash my sins away in my life. I needed it so bad. Amen? I needed to know the glory. And guess what? The beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is we can take him with us wherever we go. Amen? And we can, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, it says, as freely as you have received that glory. As freely as you have received the gift of God, salvation, freely give. It costs you nothing to give it away. Week six, we talked about this. We mentioned that it isn't revival until what's happening in, in you has an impact on those around you. I'll say it one more time. It's not revival until what's happening in you has an impact on those around you. That is, we spoke of humility and we spoke of humbly serving as a witness to the world. Amen? You have to live a life of humility to live as a witness to this world. You see, that's a choice. You wake up and you say, Father, lead me, guide me, direct me, Lord. Let me be a witness for your glory. He's not going to force the words out of your mouth. He's not going to tell you to post it on social media. It's up to you. The ball is in your court. But can I tell you something? We're quick to witness about all kinds of things. I've seen you guys, you know, you'll watch a good movie and all of a sudden you tell everybody about it. Say, oh man, that was the best movie I've ever seen in my life. You guys should go watch it. How many of you have done that? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I know you have. I know you have. Dun, 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 dun. All right, even better, a good restaurant. You go to a restaurant, you eat something, and you're like, man, that was good. That was really good. And then when somebody brings up that restaurant, you say, man, I remember when I went there. That place was awesome. Mandy and I, when we were, we were in San Antonio, we ate at this place. I don't even know if I'll pronounce it right, but I think it was called Fogo, Fogo de Chao. It's a Brazilian steakhouse. Oh, my Lord. 
I thank God that Peter had that vision where we could eat meat. You remember that? Yeah, in the, in the New Testament. Okay, read your Bibles, guys. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me like, no, I have no idea what Peter was talking about. Listen, read your Bible. The, the Bible says if Peter had a vision where we could eat the meat of split-hoofed animals, okay? So thank you, Jesus. Anyways, we went there, and there was this fantastic, like, steak. It was the best I've ever eaten in, like, forever. And these guys, they come by with, like, you know, meat on these, like, skewers, and you got the little cart on your table, and it's literally, like, rotating people with meat. It's a dream for me. I don't know about you. <laughs> some, of, some of you guys are looking at me like, I don't know if you're all vegetarians or what. Do you guys eat meat in here? Okay, am I the only one? Why am I the only one excited about this? But these guys are like rotating and they come to your table. And guess what? As long as that little card's on green, they'll bring you all the meat that you want. It's the most fantastic experience. Should I be quicker to tell you about a restaurant than I am to tell you about the bread of heaven? What a disservice it would be to God to send his son as a penalty for our sin and our unrighteousness that we can't open our mouth to tell somebody about what he's done for us. Amen? That would be an absolute disgrace. It would cut the heart of God. We need to witness for him. Amen? And then two weeks ago, we spoke about the life of Peter going from a denier, that is, an individual that denied Jesus on several occasions, to preaching fire on the day of Pentecost. And we talked a little bit about, we learned about the purpose for why we have been reconciled, and that is to lead others to reconciliation. Amen? Why have we been forgiven and, and, and we have been reconciled to the Lord? It's to lead somebody else into that place where they can have their sins forgiven. Amen? So I pray, church, over the last few weeks that you have gotten on your feet and you've begun to witness to somebody. Amen? Listen, I, I, I want to say this with urgency in my heart. Be intentional. Pray for people. But listen, plant seeds. Amen? You are not salvation. Let me just take that burden off your shoulders. You are not salvation. Jesus is salvation. Amen? But he has trusted you and I to be co-laborers for his kingdom. That is where the scripture says, some sow and some water, but the Lord brings the increase. Amen? He'll always bring the increase. And so I pray that you have gotten out there and you've begun to tell people about this God that we serve that loves us endlessly. Amen? And so we are reconciled and made right to God to now live as ambassadors for Jesus. This is why he has saved your life. I want to remind you of that definition we learned about this. We are his diplomatic agents. Think about this. Agents of the highest rank sent to represent King Jesus. And we are authorized to speak on his behalf. Somebody say amen. Say, I am authorized to speak on his behalf. You, you say, say it one more time. I am authorized to speak on his behalf. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Amen. You are able and you are authorized to speak on his behalf. We are the voice of heaven to this earth. We are invested with royal power through the name of Jesus and through the authority of his blood. Amen? And we need to exercise that authority. We need to exercise that authority. If you would open your Bibles to Jeremiah 18. We're going to be there tonight. Jeremiah chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, open them up there. If not, it will be on the screen. I want to read several verses to you tonight. Let's read this. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me and he said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Declares the Lord. It says, Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. Let's pray tonight. Holy Spirit, we just pray tonight, Lord, that you would speak to us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use me as a vessel tonight. 
Lord, let, let your word go forth, Lord, in power, Father. And I trust in Jesus' name, Lord, that every heart, every, every mind, Lord, every listening ear, Father God, would receive from your truth tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. So here we find Jeremiah the prophet. He's given this command by the Lord to go down to a potter's house. And so he's given this destination that he needs to go to because from that place, he is going to hear a message from God. Amen? And so as mature believers, church, I believe that, that it's important for us to understand that if you are truly mature, and I believe many of you have shown yourselves to be, that a sign of maturity is following the voice of the Lord. Amen? A sign of maturity is following the voice of the Lord. And it's those that question what God has instructed that live immature and unproductive lives before him. There's a lot of people that sometimes they will stop short of an encounter with Jesus because guess what? They don't want to obey. And he gave you a simple instruction. He said, go down to the potter's house. There is a word for you there. There is a word. There is something for your life at that place, Jeremiah. And so I'll touch on that a little bit more in a minute. But when the Lord commands you to go somewhere because at that place he has a word for you, you should probably go. Amen? In fact, you must go. You must go. This wasn't a suggestion to Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah, if you don't go, then maybe I'll catch up with you later, like we do with our friends sometimes. It was a commandment. Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house, and there I will meet you. There I will have a word for your life. I love how in the scripture it says, go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. And verse 3 says, Jeremiah, so I went down to the potter's house. <laughs> that was pretty, pretty easy for Jeremiah, right? But sometimes it's not that easy for us. God tells you to do something and you're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> what day is it? <laughs> And you start reasoning in your mind. You start making all, all kinds of excuses as to when or why or how you should go. I remember Jesus, he was telling a group of people, he says, listen. One guy asked him, he says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, hold on, son. Foxes have dens and birds have nests. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. Do you even know what you're asking for? Another one said, well, well, Lord, first let me go and take care of my business and the things that I have to attend to. And, and he says, no, no, no. Let the dead bury the dead. Anyone who puts his hand to the plow and turns back is not fit for my kingdom. When the Lord tells you to go somewhere, you go. Amen. When the Lord gives you instruction to go somewhere, for there he will meet you, you go to that place. So Jeremiah, you know, he goes to this place and he meets the Lord. And I, I believe, church, that, that I want to stay there just for a second because the Lord really longs for your obedience. He really longs for your obedience. He desires so much that we would listen, amen. Jeremiah, he didn't like phone a friend, he didn't take a survey on social media and say, you know what, is it a good idea if I go? Let me know what you think. Jeremiah didn't do any of those things. He simply obeyed. And as a result of obedience, he's able to witness a powerful visual illustration of something that the Lord wanted him to see. How many of you are visual learners? Are there any visual learners in the house? Yes? All right. Many, many of us, right? I'm a visual learner. If I can see it, I could probably do it. And that's, that's not a boast. It's just that's the way I work, you know. You put a book in front of me, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't do the book. I don't do the instruction manual of the Lego set. I just look at the box, <laughs> and I see what it looks like it's built to be, right? And, and, you know, I, I visually, I'll, I'll take it like that. But, but, but there's, there's something about witnessing something there's something about seeing something firsthand amen and I'm the kind of individual like I said if I can see it I can probably pick it up and I can probably figure it out but I'm going to go out on a whim here and make a possible assumption that Jeremiah was probably the same way 
He was probably a visual learner. This is why the Lord told him to go and see. God wanted him to see something so that he could understand a deeper lesson that the Lord wanted to teach him. So let's look at verse 4, Jeremiah 18 and 4. It says, so the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. Now I want us to understand this picture just for a second. The potter who is working at the wheel, he has this wheel that spins. Have you ever seen those? It's a potter's wheel. They got like, well, you know, back then it was, it was different. But nowadays it got like a little gas pedal and it turns the wheel really fast. And they put that clay and they center it there. And, and it spins really fast so that they can shape it and do what they want to do with it. So that potter, he, he's there and he's got a lump of clay and it's being formed into a pot. Right? A pot's like a little bowl, right? And so it's being formed into a pot. But the scripture says that the clay was marred in his hands. How many of you know what the word marred means? Think about it just for a second. But that word marred by definition in Hebrew means corrupt, destroyed, mangled, and spoiled. Corrupt, destroyed, mangled, and spoiled. And so if you can understand, the potter is working with a flawed, mangled, spoiled piece of clay. Doesn't that sound just like us? Doesn't that sound pretty similar to your life and my life? Pretty broken, pretty fractured, pretty, you know, not, you know, good in good standing or able to be used. Think about this church, the God of this universe the one whom all of this is for, the one who is deserving of all of our praise and all of the honor. He took a flawed and mangled and destroyed and spoiled individual like us, a people without a purpose, without form or without beauty, without a cause or without being deserving of his grace, and yet he took you in his hands. (laughs) Yet he took you and possessed you in his hands. His hands were willing to touch our flaws. Mm. His hands were willing to repair what others deemed irreparable in our life. His hands were willing to touch our life. You know that he touched the leper? The individual of the day that nobody else would touch. The one to whom was outcast in every city. They had to walk in the outskirts of the city. They couldn't walk through through the center street. They couldn't walk down 10th street. They had to go all the way around to get somewhere. And everywhere they went, they had to scream, unclean. They had to announce to the world that they were unclean. Because if they touch somebody else, that, that sickness, that disease could, could, could spread to somebody else's life. Imagine the shame. Imagine the pain that those individuals went through. And, and they didn't deserve leprosy. It was just something that they had come in contact with. But yet, every single day, they had to live in shame in their life. And the God of this universe was willing to take that individual and touch them. The God of this universe was willing to go into the places in your life and touch you when nobody else wanted to deal with you. The God of this universe is so willing, church, to touch the lame, the blind, the demon-possessed, the prostitute, all those who will surrender their lives fully for his glory. He's so willing to touch the marred clay. 2 Samuel chapter 22 Verse 17 says, he reached down from on high and he took a hold of me. Oh man, you should be rejoicing right now. It says, he reached down from on high and he took a hold of me and he drew me out of deep waters. I don't know why you're not rejoicing. It says, he rescued me from my powerful enemy and from my foes who were too strong for me and they confronted me in my day of disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place and he rescued me because he delights in me. Amen. Give the Lord a praise tonight. His hands touch because he is a rescuer. Amen. 
His hands touch because he is a redeemer. His hands protect because he safeguards his children from the enemy. His hands support because he alone, church, can sustain you. His hands bless because he alone delights in you. Amen. How many of you know that you are held in the hands of your Savior? Amen. It's a good place to be. It's a good place to be, church. We believe this. And as a child of God, the strongholds of the enemy are all broken because of the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. Every single stronghold is broken because of the blood of Jesus. Listen to what he says in John 14 and verse 30. He says, I will not say much more to you. He said, but for the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold over me. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about the enemy. He says, listen, I, I, I've got to move on from what I'm telling you guys at this moment. But I want you to understand this very fact. The enemy has no hold over me. And Jesus was making it very plain and clear and obvious and, and understandable for us to see. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death and that is the devil. And free those all their lives who were held in slavery by the fear of death. Can you rejoice tonight that the enemy is broken? Amen. I said can you rejoice tonight that the devil is defeated? He is eternally defeated by the blood of Jesus. So Jeremiah 18 and 4, it goes on to say, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Do we realize, church, do we understand this, that we must submit to the creator? Amen? The created must submit to the creator. Amen? Have we forgot that the designed must allow the designer to work in them? We're just the clay. Amen. We are just the clay. That is, clay is formless until it's formed. Clay has no shape. It has no purpose on its own. It's nothing until it is formed. It's useless until it's shaped by the master potter himself. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. We were dust. We were dust. We had no substance until God breathed into our life. We had no substance. We had no purpose until the Lord breathed into our life. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 says we have this treasure. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the power of God. We have this treasure in jars of clay. This is your life to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He goes on to say we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed because we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Oh, man, that's good news to me. That is such good news to me, church. Your life was meant to carry the presence of Jesus. Your life was meant to carry the presence of the Lord. This is the kind of vessel that you were created to be so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in your body. I want you to see something tonight, and I don't know if my camera guys can get in on this real quick. Do your best, Oscar. I want you to just see this jar. Is it, oh, there it is, sorry. Focus in on the lid there if you can. I want you to just see that. It's kind of broken. Some of you might be able to see it with your eyes a little bit better. But it's, it's been through some battles, and I was talking to Sharon about that the other day. This, this jar of anointing oil is, is, is a very powerful tool. But yet when you look at it, it's the label's torn and the cap's all beat up and looks like it's almost empty. It's got fingerprints all over it. But even though it's been hard-pressed on every side, like the scripture we just read, 
It's not been crushed. Amen? Though it's been perplexed, it's not in despair. Though it's been persecuted, it's not abandoned. It's not destroyed because as long as it holds the glory, the scripture says, church, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Inwardly, you are being renewed day by day. But the question is this, is are you being shaped as it seems best to him? Are you being shaped as it seems best to him? To be shaped by the Lord means to be moldable, teachable, and able to be discipled as he sees fit. As he sees fit. Isaiah 45 and verse 9 says, Woe to those who quarrel with their maker. Imagine arguing with God. <laughs> it's probably a fight we won't win. He says, so woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but pots herds amongst the pots herds on the ground. It says, does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? You see, that's a very telling and revealing scripture. Does what God is Doing in your life and what God is, 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 what you profess that God is doing in your life, does it reveal that the potter has no hands? Wow. Some people say, oh, he's working on me, man, and you live like the world. Oh, but he's working on me, and, and yet you, you live like a sinner. And you cuss like a sailor and you still go to all the places that, that you used to, but you profess that he's working on you. The scripture says, does the potter have hands or does he have no hands? Because if he's truly doing a work in your life, then he will form you as it seems best fit to him. Not to us. I love giving counsel and I've been able to do so for many years and I'll be asked, you know, about all kinds of things, whether sometimes it's relationships, marriage, and, and sometimes it's, it's other things. It's just, you know, you know, youth, you know, ask me for advice, uh, things in life. And there's this, something very true about the, the saying that says that you can lead a horse to water, but you what? <laughs> you can't make him drink. And sometimes my counsel almost feels like it's in vain because I've, literally shown people what the scripture says word for word about a given situation and yet sometimes they don't want to drink. And all that's revealing in your life is if the potter has hands and access to your life or not. Romans 9 and 21 says, does the potter not have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Absolutely he does. Amen? But we must be content with who the Lord and what the Lord has called us to do. Who the Lord has called us to be and what the Lord has called us to do and be satisfied with the assignment given to our lives and not be eager to try to fit in the mold of somebody else's gift or calling but be satisfied with your own. You see, I see this amongst young people all the time. You see somebody and you think that you've got to be them. Listen, Jesus hasn't called you to be them because he has uniquely made you to be you. Amen? He has uniquely created you to walk in the anointing that he has given you. I'll never be Duke Soto. <laughs> Somebody, years ago we did something, and I forget what it was, but, you know, everybody knows that pastor's my father-in-law. But this guy actually thought, you know, that I was his son. And so he made, like, some name badge, and he gave me a name badge, and it said Duke Soto on it. And I was like, I was like okay, I'll take it, you know. But the truth is, is, I'll never be Duke Soto. <laughs> Amen? Maybe in the spirit. But in the flesh, God has called me to be exactly who he's called me to be. Not to be an imitation or a, a mimicker of somebody else, but to truly live and walk out the life that he has called me to live. And the beautiful thing about that is the Lord has the same purpose for your life. He's made you uniquely you. That the people that he would put in your life, that you would have influence over their life. 
The people that he would put in your path, that you would be an individual that would be used for his purposes. But listen, it says right there in the scripture, it says he has the right to make some clay into pottery for special purposes and some for common use. But either way, the beautiful thing is the fact that he formed you. Amen. It's the fact that he has formed your life. Listen, not everybody's going to do something great or grand for God, but that doesn't matter. The fact is, is that he is supposed to shape your life and he is supposed to have the ability and access into your life to shape you as it seems best fit to him. Psalms 84 and verse 10 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. He said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Don't chase promotion. Don't chase, you know, some kind of status. Don't chase after those things. Be content with the lot that God has given you. Amen. Be content that if God made you a vessel to be used for common purposes, the fact is, is that God formed you and made you. Be content in that. Amen. What's the point is this, is God will not be a loser by any man in his glory. That is, in the long run, if he will not be glorified by them, then he will be glorified upon them. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 5 says, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. I'll say it one more time. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Amen? Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16 says, I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. This is why God has raised you up so that his name might be glorified and so that his power can work in your life. This is what seems best to him. Amen? And I like to suggest, church, that it's better to be formed by the living God than to be forced by him. Hmm. I'd like to suggest, just think about that just for a second. It's so much better to be formed by him than to be forced by him. Because even though man thinks they can go denying the existence of God and they can go on, you know, being an atheist their whole life or whatever, the Bible says in Romans 14 and verse 11, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So what would you rather be, formed or forced? Everybody say, form me, Lord. Form me, Jesus. Isaiah 64 and verse 8 says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father, and we are the clay, and you are the potter, and we are all the work of your hands. So what seems best fit to him as he forms our life? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so what does the good work look like? Matthew 5 and 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? That is, you live as a light of Jesus in this world. You live as a representation that wherever you go, you glow. Amen? That wherever you go, you are radiating the glory of God in your life. Matthew 10 and verse 6 says, Go to the lost sheep of Israel, and as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely you have received, freely give. Does this sound like purpose? Yeah, absolutely it does. Titus 3 and verse 14 says, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for the urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. It's a challenging place to be in when you want to help somebody, but you don't have the means to do so. Has anybody ever been there? You, you, in other words, you, you, you wanted to bless somebody, you wanted to help them, and you maybe saw somebody stranded on the side of the road, and you thought, you know, Man, I wish I could, you know, tow them out or I wish I could do something and, and, and all these things. And, and sometimes we get into that place where we feel like we, we, we are incapable of doing something. 
We have to trust, church, that as we are good stewards of the things that we are able to do, that one day we will be able to meet urgent needs. One day we will be able to, to do things that are even greater, to, to do greater exploits. The scripture teaches us that Jesus said, even greater things shall you do in my name because I'm going to the Father. There's things and there's work for us to do every single day. The person that sat next to you in your workplace today or the student that you sat next to in, in the school, listen, those people need Jesus. And the beautiful thing about the kingdom is he goes with you wherever you go. Right there in the middle of a, of a lab, right there in the middle of a hallway, in the middle of a classroom, right there in the middle of a, of a store. I've prayed for people at Walmart, and I've seen people give their life to Jesus at the oil counter at Walmart. Not because I'm special. Not because I'm special, but because I understand this. I am created for a purpose. I am created to do something that, that will glorify him at the end of the day. And you are created to do the exact same things. Think about all the things that I mentioned right now. Aren't these the very things that Jesus himself did? Yes, they are. Aren't these the very things that Jesus himself did? He met the needs of others. He prayed for the sick so that they could recover. He rebuked demons so people could get free. And the scripture says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living. Where? Where? He's living inside of you. He is living inside of your life. And the Bible says the purpose for which Jesus came was to destroy the works of Satan. To destroy the very works of Satan. The very thing that, that Satan tries to permeate his way into the lives of families. And be destructive and cause people to commit suicide. And cause people to be addicted to things. And cause people to be broken and hurt and live lives that, that's just a revolving door of pain and turmoil in their life. Jesus came to destroy all of that. Amen. Jesus came to destroy all of that church. And we can't or don't destroy anything by ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. It's only through the power of Jesus, amen? Through the Holy Spirit working in and through your life for his purpose and his glory. I thank God for the Holy Spirit because he will speak at times that are very uncomfortable to us. And he will show you somebody that's sitting in a restaurant just across the way. He'll show you somebody that'll pass by you in the store that, that you need to just say, hey, can I pray for you? He will stir your heart to send a text message to a friend or, or make a phone call to, to say, how are you doing? to find out that that person is, is in the middle of some broken situation and, and he will stir us constantly to do his work. But listen, we need to work. We need to be the vessel that fulfills the purpose for which he has shaped us. We cannot wait any longer, church, to live out our purpose in Christ. I'm gonna tell you this, it's not somebody else's purpose, it's your purpose. It's not somebody else's purpose. It's your purpose. It's yours. And the potter, he can and he will. Listen to me carefully. The Bible says in John chapter 15. How many of you remember John chapter 15? It talks about the vine and the branches. It says the Lord is the vine dresser and we are the branches. And it says that he will cut off any branch that does not bear fruit. Likewise, the Lord can destroy any vessel that chooses not to fulfill his will in the earth. The last thing that any one of us would want to be is, is an individual that denied God the opportunity to work through our life. After he's done so much for us. After he's done so much for us. After he, he paid the way so that we can know him. After he allowed his son to shed his blood upon the cross so that we could see him and know him and receive him into our life. That we would deny him.
Isaiah 52 and verse 14. Just as there were many who were appalled at Jesus. This is a prophetic word about Jesus that Isaiah spoke. Just as there were many who were appalled at him. The scripture says his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form was marred beyond human likeness. I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. Close your eyes just for a moment. And think about the sacrifice that was made for you. The Bible says that they took Jesus like a silent lamb to be slaughtered. And that he was led up to this hill called Golgotha. And that he was given a cross that he was to die on. And they took these whips that had steel and lead on the ends of them. And they whipped his back 39 times. The Bible says that they tore his flesh. They tore his flesh wide open. And the Bible says that they took him up to that, to that hill called Golgotha. And he couldn't even carry his cross the entire way because he was bleeding and he was dying. And the Roman soldiers, they took him and they, they, they placed his life and they began to pound nails through his hands and through his feet. Nailing him to a cross. And they lifted up the cross for all to see. There was a criminal to his right and a criminal to his left. They tore his beard and the Bible says they took a spear and they pierced his side and from that side flowed blood and water. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they've done. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they've done. And he was so torn. That's what Isaiah is talking about. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being. He was unrecognizable. And if the Lord, if God the Father would allow his son Jesus to be marred beyond recognition for our sins, how much more should these vessels that are redeemed by his blood give ourselves fully to his work? Maybe you're saying, how could the Lord work through me? I have so many issues and problems in my life. Listen, when God puts us on the potter's wheel of circumstance, he will accomplish something in your life. And he will accomplish something through you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org slash give.